0: This is the final talk in this four-part series we've been doing, looking at the topic of relationships. We began by looking at marriage in its broadest context. We touched on divorce. We spent a week looking at singleness. And then last time, we shared some practical tips, both Debbie and I, for sustaining a healthy marriage. And if, I, if you missed any of those, I really would encourage you on the website, we've got the videos, we've got the audios, as well as podcasts, I'd encourage you to... Uh, uh, have a look or listen to those now inevitably when you talk about relationships and people at such different places some talks will be more relevant t- to you than others if you're married the marriage talk the if you're single the single talk but my hope is that understanding the joys and the challenges of these kinds of relationships has been helpful as we seek to support each other in the life of the church Today I'm concluding this series with a talk that will be applicable to all of you who have a relationship with anybody, okay? If you know anybody at all, I hope this talk is gonna be helpful. So we're rounding things up, looking at how to thrive in relationships with others, how to get along well. Many of you will be aware that we have our own football team, Trent Vineyard Football Club, TVFC. They've played in a league for the past nine years. And I got an email yesterday from Matt Lake, the team captain, also the drummer you just heard, and he talked about the way they approach their relationships with the opposing teams and how they approach the game. And he mentioned some of the qualities that we would all do well to pay attention to as we are in relationship with anyone. This is what he wrote. We try and play the game in a way that represents Trent and Jesus in the right way. This does mean sometimes not reacting in a way which might seem instinctive when you're faced with abuse or fouling or cheating. It must be said we don't always achieve this, but I think we've made some great impressions on the clubs we've played over the years, and people definitely know what we're about and what we stand for. We pray together before each game, just a simple prayer to help us play as a team in the right way. We give out drinks to the opposition before our home games, each one of our players going to an opposition player as part of the lineup and handing over a LucasAid or other drink. Every game, each team has to award the opposition a mark out of 10 for their attitude towards them and general sportsmanship. And then these scores are added up over the course of the season, and the highest-placed team is awarded the Fair Play Award And we have always finished very high up in this. We've won that award three times. We had a really positive email from an opposition manager during this season, and he writes this, I just wanted to say you're a great bunch of lads. I've really got a lot of time for your team. Usually, especially when you play away with so many teams, the game just turns into fighting and arguing. Your lads are a credit. Every game you make us work hard and the games are played in the right spirit. Good luck with the rest of the season. So this past season, there were 16 teams who took part in this cup. And a few weeks ago was the cup final against AFC South Wingfield. Trent Vineyard was playing. And it was a hard game. Five goals were scored. And our team not only played fair, they played well And the final score at 3-2 was to us. We won, our team won. And so, so, here is, weighs a lot, the cup. Congratulations to our team. Amazing. There we go. Let's make some space on there. On there are the plaques, since 1932, and there's Trent Vineyard now engraved adjoining the others. So we've just received it about a week ago, and it's my privilege to celebrate with you our team's success. If you're into football, into playing football, you'd like to join TVFC, then you can find – go to the church website or email the office, and they'll put you in touch. TVFC has its own website. So that other football manager wrote this, usually – especially when you play away. With so many teams, the game just turns into fighting and arguing. Football is a sport. It's played with passion. It's sometimes gladiatorial in its intensity as each team fights to win the game. And as he says, it can so easily degenerate into fighting and arguing. But there's something different about our guys. As our captain said, we try and play the game in a way that represents Jesus. This means not reacting in a way which might seem instinctive when you're faced with abuse or fouling or cheating. And they admit they don't always get it right, but evidently the way they relate to the opposing team is a testimony that there is something different about them. When they are abused or fouled or even cheated, they don't fight or degenerate into arguments. Now, most of us don't play football, but we all know the reality in our own relationships that we face similar challenges when we find ourselves in conflict. Thriving in relationships takes restraint. It takes work. It involves approaching conflict with care, not just doing the thing which would naturally come to us in the situation uh, of conflict. So as you sit here this evening, you may be thinking of relationships already where things are challenging. Perhaps there are tensions within your family, perhaps with your parents with your siblings, with your children if you have them, with your spouse if you have one. Perhaps there's a relational strains at work with your boss or with a colleague or an employee. Perhaps you live in a shared house, some of you do, and your housemates are really, really irritating. The main thing for you may be that, you know that thing called washing up that just does that, you know? And it gets done. It gets done at least every week. And you know why it gets done? Because you're the one who does it. And you live with these irritating people. Others of you are thinking, I'm not the one who does it. Well, you're irritating someone by letting the washing up pile up because someone's responsible in your house. There always is one. Having good relationships with other people is at the very heart of the Christian gospel. God is passionately committed to restoring broken relationships and to deepening good ones. Those of us who have committed our life to following Jesus, we have a massive advantage in our relationships because not only does the Holy Spirit work on us, changing us into people who are more able to sustain healthy relationships as we become more like Jesus, but reconciliation is at the very heart of the Christian faith. Let me tell you a story about a guy called Philip. He woke up one morning, he's looking up from his bed, doesn't want to get up, but he's just looking up, and he sees a crack in his wall. So he gets up, he goes to the shop, he buys some filler, and he fills that crack, paints over it, sorted. A few days later, he looks up, and not only has it reappeared, but there are now four cracks. So he's still got some filler left, he fills those cracks, paints it over, looks fine. Some time passes, and he realizes that not only have the four cracks now returned, plus the original crack but they've now actually brought all their aunts and uncles and cousins with them. His wall's all cracked. And he's thinking, oh my goodness, I obviously can't cope with this. I need to bring in a professional. So he calls someone. They come around. It's a surveyor. He looks at it, comes in the bedroom, looks at the cracks. Hmm, okay. And then he disappears. He walks outside, and he walks around a bit, and he comes in, and Philip says to him, how much do you think it's going to cost to get this problem resolved? And he says, I reckon it could be 10 grand. He's like, what? To fix some cracks in my bedroom wall? He said, no to fix your foundation. Your foundation is settling. Just putting filler in a wall is not gonna help. You'll just have the cracks continually come back again. Relationships are hard work. Getting along well with people takes a lot of effort. And no one's perfect at it. But from time to time, there will be cracks that appear. One crack maybe not a problem. You can get some filler and sort that out. But if multiple cracks appear and they won't go away, no matter how much filler you're using, it's probably an indication there's an underlying problem. Some of us live with cracked walls and we never really diagnose the problem correctly. We may have a tense relationship with our parents. We may struggle, we may fight with our siblings. We may frequently get into heated rows with friends or housemates or colleagues. We might find animosity and competitiveness in our relationships at work. Generally, for some people, there's a lack of peace around them. And we may easily walk around with the assumption that, you know, everybody else is the problem. I've got these problems of people at work, I've got problem people I live with, I've got problem people I'm married to, I've got problem people, you know, this, that, and the other place. But actually, there's an old maxim which is normally pretty true. Everywhere you go, there you are. If we find that there's conflict, if there's lack of peace in many of our relationships, it is quite possible that the common denominator, common denominator is us. God's plan for us is to live at peace with each other and at peace with Him. If you're finding you have a lack of peace in many of your relationships, I would encourage you to think about where you are with God. The Bible's clear about the connection between the two. When we are at odds with God, we're likely to find ourselves at odds with other people. The root problem is not simply horizontal, my relationship with you, your relationship with me. Often it is vertical. We can't solve relational problems until we solve the primary problem, which is our relationship with God. When a person's not at peace with God, they are restless. And if you find that you are not at peace with God, then you're going to find yourself all too often not at peace with people around you. The reason that human beings fight wars, the reason we fight in our families, the reason we struggle with ourselves. The core of the problem is where we stand with God. If that foundation isn't in place, then there will be cracks which will show. But God has a plan for us. He made a way for us to be reconciled to Him. Jesus Christ died on a cross, and His death bridged the gap that separated us from Him and which separates us from each other. Because of his death, people can be brought near to God, and as a result, brought near to each other. If you look at a cross, there are two bars. There's the vertical bar that reminds us that Jesus Christ died to establish peace between us and God, and then there's the horizontal bar. Jesus Christ died not just to reconcile us individually to God, but to bring about peace with each other. Now healthy relationships are really important. God, and He's given us this book, the Bible, which is full of instruction, it's full of insight, which is incredibly helpful in how we might relate to others and have wonderful relationships. So, we're going to look at a short passage. It was written in a letter from the Apostle Paul to a church in Ephesus in Turkey, and we're going to begin here. It's chapter 4, we're just going to look at about two and a half verses. This is Ephesians 4 and verse 1. be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, the first thing that strikes me there is make every effort. Healthy relationships don't happen without effort. They're not automatic. Relationships are a lot like cars. They need care. They need maintenance. And sometimes we'll take our car in to be service because we want it to keep running well, and that marriage event might be a great one if you're married to go to that was just advertised. Sometimes it has to go in because something's just not working, something's worn out, or maybe something's even broken, and then it requires a lot of effort to get it uh, to work again. Paul understands that in our relationships with others, sometimes they tend to break down. If we ask the question, how do we sustain healthy relationships when those relationships are challenging, we find the answer if we just skim through these verses, verses 2 and 3. The key to positively handling challenges in relationships is in exercising these qualities that Paul speaks about in the passage. Imagine how people would get along if they were completely humble and gentle, patient, Bearing with each other, loving, and making every effort to live in unity and at peace. So let's take a look at these qualities a bit more. First three make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, it's quite challenging that phrase, make every effort. I'm challenged by it personally. Don't just settle for okay in your relationships just a few cracks here and there. Someone might say, you know, I just have real difficulty with that person. As I think about the state of my relationships, I see that there's disruption over there. There's a burnt out bridge over there, a number of years ago. There's hurt, there's anger with that individual. I no longer call them, but you know, I'm busy. Anyway, I wouldn't know where to start. And the Apostle Paul exhorts us, make every effort. Stop settling for a certain amount of relational disharmony. Aim to be at peace with everyone you know. Well, how far should I go in the making of every effort? Well, it's interesting that this is one of the few things that God tells us. He tells us to keep him waiting until we accomplish this. In general, worshiping God comes before everything else. It's our highest priority. And yet in Matthew 5, verse 23, Jesus says this, This is the message translation. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then, come back and work things out with God. In other words, first make every effort to be at peace and then come and worship. Relationship, reconciliation, between people is so important that Jesus teaches us, in a sense, to keep God's wait, God waiting. Put off worship until you do this one thing, until we have done all that we can do. The writer of another letter, the letter to the Hebrews, he similarly exhorts us in Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. That's like a lot. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone, everyone you ever meet. And Paul, in his letter to the Roman church, he wrote this in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, and as far as it depends on you, live at peace. So, sometimes it may not be possible. Some relationships are just utterly destructive. There is just nothing more which you can do to restore them. There needs to be a distance between you and that person. But Paul says, if it is possible as far as it depends on you, make the effort. Sometimes a person refuses to accept our apology or our invitation to relationship, and there may be nothing more that we can humanly do beyond keeping our heart as sweet as we can and maybe praying for them and the relationship. But honestly, in, in the majority of cases, the problem rests on our end. We need to just sometimes ask ourselves with real honesty, have I made every effort? do I need to pick up the phone? Do I need to write that letter? Should I text them even while that guy at the front is talking just to see if we can reconnect? And some of you right now might be aware there's someone with whom you have a fractured relationship, and the Lord may just be prompting you tonight to take another step in trying to reconcile with them. Make every effort About 15 of us on the staff, the pastors on the staff, went to the HTB Leaders Conference in the Royal Albert Hall a few weeks ago. And among the speakers were Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, who Nicky Gumbel interviewed, along with Cardinal Vincent Nichols. He's the Catholic Archbishop of Westminster. He's the most senior cleric in the UK. And so you've got Anglican, Catholic, and they expressed very warmly in their conversation how they had a love for each other, they had an implicit trust for each other, which, you know, if you're older in the tooth, given the uh, distance between the Catholic and Anglican churches historically, was a great joy to be witnessing. But let me tell you what one speaker talked about which really powerfully illustrates, goes beyond actually, but making every effort. Joyce Mayer was one of the speakers. And she told her own personal story. She told us she was sexually abused by her father throughout much of her childhood. And though her mother witnessed it, she didn't do anything to intervene or protect her. And so as soon as Joyce was old enough to leave home, she walked out, slammed the door, assumed she would never see them again in her life. Years later, Joyce came to faith in Jesus. And over time, She felt prompted by the Lord to reconnect with her parents, and they were elderly, and they needed looking after, and she felt the Lord ask her to take care of them. She bought them a house near where she lived, and she moved them in across from another state, moved them in, and she visited often, looking after them, but even then she said her father was mean as a snake. Now, most people would have just turned their backs on the broken relationship, you know, especially because there was no apology, there was no warmth, there was no gratitude, just meanness. But Joyce, with God's help, went on making every effort. And then one day her mother called her and said, your father needs to speak to you. He's been crying for three solid weeks and he wants to see you. She went over and her father said, I am so sorry for what I did to you when you were a girl. Please forgive me. And she said, Dad, I forgave you many years ago, but you know the most important person you need to forgive you is Jesus. Would you like his forgiveness? And he said yes, and Joyce led her father to the Lord. And then after that, she later baptized him. That relationship was reconciled. That is astonishing that someone would go to those ends. But that's what can happen as we're transformed by Jesus, as we really take seriously Paul's exhortation to take, make every effort. So what are the other keys we find here to peace-filled relationships? In verse two, it says, be completely humble and gentle, bearing with one another in love. Paul says in the passage, it begins not with the other person changing, like we wish they would, do their own washing up, but actually our attitude changing. The Apostle Paul says, be completely humble. Maintaining peace in relationships takes humility. Standing on our rights doesn't help. Stubborn pride destroys relationships faster than almost anything else. Pride builds walls between people. Humility builds bridges. Paul wrote to the Philippian church, Philippians 2 verse 3 says this, in humility… Value others above yourselves, not looking out to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Humility is the prerequisite for healthy relationships. You can't heal a relationship while you stand on your pride. What is humility? Let's unpack it a little bit. This is C.S. Lewis's definition. He says this, do not imagine if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it'll be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Someone else said this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. Healthy relationships happen when people who are not self-consumed, that when people do not stand on their pride, stand on their rights. They're not thinking about themselves, they're not thinking about their own needs, they aren't thinking about how they can win or how they can end up on top. People with thriving relationships approach their relationships with humility. They ask questions like, well, how can I meet this person's needs? How can their concerns surpass mine? How can I focus on them? Now, humility is not being a doormat. That is not humility. It's not being a person who everyone just wipes their feet on because you're always looking out for them. You never stand up for yourself at all. But humility says, when there's a conflict, I'm going to let your complaints be heard. I'm going to allow your needs to be met. I'm going to try and address your concerns. And also, I'm going to acknowledge my contribution to the problem. We often place the problem squarely in the other person's court, but actually, what part do I have in this? And as we try and work this thing through, how can I understand you, and how can I really understand the things that I'm bringing to the table here? Humility says, I'm confident in God, and I know that I'm secure in Him, and from that place... I'm able to move out in strength, to acknowledge my faults, to laugh at myself, focused on other people's concerns, other people's needs, not simply my own. I heard about somebody in this church who has become known for their humility in the workplace which has been a particularly challenging environment. There's a lot of gossip thriving going on and people are eager to take credit for the successes, distance themselves from the failures. And over the years, this church member has made a consistent effort to be distinctive in his attitude. And I heard that one colleague who had been particularly challenging and had always been taking the credit for things, eventually he came to this guy for advice, acknowledging that he was straight and fair. Paul mentions gentleness too, be completely humble and gentle. These two qualities go hand in hand. They're both a kind of strength, but they're strength under control. Paul is not, sorry, he is talking here, that word gentleness you could also translate meekness. Meekness is not weakness. When you think of gentleness, I'm going to show you a picture in a moment which just encapsulates it. It's a picture of Brad Dunn, America's strongest man competitor, he can pick up a dumbbell from the ground, which weighs about 30 stone. It's a lot. And he can press it right up. 30 stone. And here he is, holding his baby daughter in his arms. Arms which have the power, if he wasn't careful with his strength, the power to crush her. Gentleness isn't lack of strength, it is strength under control. It's having the power to do damage, but choosing to restrain that power to do good. And we may be in the right in a conflict. We may have the power to crush the other person's argument flat, even to squash that other person. But Paul says, be gentle as you work through that difficulty with them. Restrain yourself. Martin Luther King Jr. was known as a gentle man, but his gentleness didn't mean he wasn't strong. He was. Martin Luther King mixed gentleness with an unshakable resolve to overturn injustice. Incidentally, being humble and gentle were the words Jesus chose to describe himself. Matthew 11:29. 29, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. When we find ourselves in conflict with someone else, we're going to be tempted to give them both barrels. But the Bible gives us some great advice. In Proverbs 15.1, it says this, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Just before you speak and come back with that volley, just think a gentle answer is probably the way that's going to get us through this. Gentleness in the midst of heated conflict is actually quite rare to see, but it's so effective in winning others over and changing the entire direction of a conversation and the entire direction, potentially, of a relationship. And then Paul goes on, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, as you know, there are a lot of aggravating people, a lot of aggravating situations. If we want to have good relationships with others, we cannot be easily offended. We can't go around being thin-skinned people are going to bump into us. In a church like this, we will step on each other's toes. There'll be people who do something that you wish they hadn't done. They won't do something you wish they would have done. They'll say something that you wish they hadn't said. They won't say something you wish they would say. There's so many permutations of conflict potential in a church, and we can't walk around like someone who's got sunburn, who's just touchy. We've all met people who we might describe as just kind of prickly, kind of touchy. They take offense at anything. You don't know what you're going to say. you say treading on eggshells around them because they're going to suddenly be offended. They overreact to the slightest thing that we do or say. A few years ago, Deb and I were in California. We'd been flown out to speak at a conference, and we had a time at a wonderful beach, Dana Beach. It's a surf beach that has international surf competitions there, and the surf rolls in from a long, long way out. So if you catch a wave, it's a very long ride. And so I got up in the morning, I found out where to hire a really long, long board, and then uh, got sorted out with, you know, water-resistant, high-factor sun cream. Every possible part of my body that was going to show was covered in that sun cream. And then I went bodyboarding. Now, it was really hard to catch waves because of being out of your depth, and you have to paddle out forever, and then you have to try and catch the wave and paddle to get on it. And so I was not that good. I really wasn't. So I tried to catch dozens of waves. I caught three waves over the course of a number of hours. And I was absolutely shattered as I walked back up the beach, the mile back to where we were staying. And uh, I completely had lost count of how long I'd been out there. So even at the age of 50... I did what immature children do, and when I got back I realized that the sunscreen had washed off hours ago, and I was more burnt than I have ever been since a similar occasion before we were married. And you might say, as my wife did, what a twit. (laughs) What were you thinking? Can you not do things by halves like most normal people? Could you not go for an hour and come back? apparently not. So over the following days, my entire back peeled, sheets of skin were pulled off of my back. And my reaction, as you can imagine, even to a gentle nudge was extreme, even to a bedsheet touching me, even Debbie just brushing past me was extreme. And sometimes, perhaps through people touching hot buttons in us, we overreact to the merest nudge from someone else. We we're like, we're thin-skinned. We take offense easily. We don't tolerate other people bumping into us. And it may be that if that is something that describes times in your life, it may be that you might need someone to pray with you, to work through, you know, God is interested in your insides. There may be hurts there that are causing those reactions. But sometimes it's simply a decision on our part. We have to choose to be patient when we feel Impatient. We have to choose to bear with someone when we just can't bear them, to love them when they're being particularly unlovable. Patience and bearing with each other means that we accept people with their quirks, with their weaknesses. We choose to think the best rather than taking offense and thinking the worst. We cut each other some slack. We put up with people we would rather put down. A great key to being patient and bearing with someone is to seek to understand where they're coming from. So if you're in a conflict with somebody and you're just butting heads and you've got your clear argument against theirs and it's just not working out, to just step back a moment and say, I wonder why they're so passionately feeling what they're feeling. I wonder what it is. Could I seek to understand before I just simply slam back and we have this never-ending uh, you know, argument? understanding where that other person is coming from, understanding their backstory to why they're bringing such heat to this situation. As the compassionate character Atticus advised his daughter Scout in Harper Lee's novel To Kill a Mockingbird, he said this, you never really know a man until you understand things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. One of our staff here recently told me a story. It's actually very similar to one I've told before from a book by Stephen Covey. But this is, this is uh, our assistant Emily's uncle, Uncle John. Many years ago, he was walking around South London, and he was disturbed by the behavior of some children in the street. The children were just running riot. They were shouting. They were generally being badly behaved. And John began to think rather critically of this man, who he assumed was their father. He was just sitting on a bench, just doing nothing. Without really even moving. And unable to take it anymore, he approached the man to challenge him about better managing his children's behavior. And as he did so, this man, somewhat dazed, kind of looked up at John and he said, Oh, yes, I suppose they are running a bit wild. I don't know what to do. My wife just died. John, of course, was utterly lost for words. He judged this man without knowing his backstory. Nearly 30 years ago, I worked here in Nottingham for Macedon Trust, it's now called Framework, and I was coordinating the maintenance of over 20 houses working with, we were accommodating about 100 residents, many of whom were homeless young offenders, and that's where I got to know Tom Murphy. He wasn't young or a homeless young offender, but... (laughs) Tom and Helen were house parents in one of these houses. And I worked with many of the residents in painting and carpeting and repairing these houses in which they lived. And one of my key guys, he was a resident, I'll call him David, it's not his real name, but he loved painting. And so I put him in charge of teams who painted. But it's fair to say David was not that easy to work with. On occasion, he would lose his temper and swear at me in front of the other people. And... um, on an occasion I remember with particular vivid clarity, and you'll understand why as I tell you it, he swore at the wrong person, a young man who was far bigger than him. And the fight which ensued involving David armed with a hunting knife and the other guy wielding a bottle necessitated me and two others risking our own personal injury as we dived into the middle of it, and I came out of the fray with the knife and the bottle, with my shirt being torn off my back as I pulled out with these two weapons. So, hey, it was pretty intense, because he kept losing his temper. One night, David stole my car, went joyriding. The police caught him. They returned the car, and they said, would I like to press charges? And I said, no. Why? Because I knew his story. I knew what was going on underneath his behavior. I knew what had led him to being such a broken person. When he was younger, he witnessed his father murder his mother. And then with his father freaking out, and David and his sister, they spent a couple of days in the house with him and their dead mother's body before the police discovered what had happened. And this obviously utterly traumatized him. He took to abusing solvents sniffing glue, the result of many years of doing that was thought to have done some damage to his brain. Now, because I knew his story, I had a totally different perspective. I had to respect him for carrying on, for being able to get out of bed each day and work with me. What he needed was for me to be patient with him and to bear with him in love. Rick Warren said this, One key to bearing with others is to understand where people are coming from. Discover their history. When you know what they've been through, you will be more understanding. Instead of thinking about how how far they still have to go, think about how far they've come in spite of their hurts. Now, some of the stories today have been somewhat extreme. Uh, most of our conflicts in relationships are far less challenging to get through than what happened with Joyce Mayer and her abusive father. And when someone's not behaving as we would hope, it's unlikely their backstory is going to be that they've just lost their wife or that they've seen their parent murdered. But whenever there's a strain in a relationship, it's always worth stepping back for a moment to consider what is going on behind what the other person is saying. Even in the smallest of conflicts, to take a moment to put yourself in their shoes, put yourself in their skin. Try and understand it from their perspective. Rather than trying to win the argument, Paul exhorts us to hold back, to restrain our strength, to not insist on our rights, and with humility and gentleness and patience to make every effort to live at peace.